Chapter Seventeen of Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World by John Timms. Chapter Seventeen. Mount Lebanon. Ascent by Lord Lindsay in 1837. Starting from Deir el-Akhmar at a quarter past four in the morning, and ascending through woods of prickly oak and Vailonidi, we reached, in three hours, the ruined village Ainet, from which begin the steep ridges of Lebanon. All the trees ceased now, except a species of dwarf cedar emitting a delicious fragrance which replaced them, and continued, though diminishing in number, almost to the summit. The rocky slope of the mountain is covered with yellow, white, red, and pink flowers, affording delicious food to the bees of Lebanon. Their honey is excellent. At eight, we came in sight of Lake Leman of the east, or Yimuni, as everyone pronounced it, lying to the south, embosomed between the upper and lower ridges. An hour afterwards, we reached an immense breath of snow, lying on the breast of the mountain, just below that summit. And from that summit, five minutes afterwards, what a prospect opened before us! Two vast ridges of Lebanon, curving westwards from the central spot where we stood, like the horns of a bent bow, or the wings of a theatre, ran down towards the sea breaking in their descent into hundred minor hills, between which, unseen, unheard, and through as deep and dark and jagged a chasm as ever yawned, the Kadisha, or sacred river of Lebanon, rushes down to the Mediterranean, the blue and boundless Mediterranean, which, far on the west horizon, meets and mingles with the sky. Our eyes coming home again, after rowing over this noble view, we had leisure to observe a small group of trees, not larger, apparently, than a clump in an English park at the very foot of the northern wing or horn of this grand natural theatre. These were the far-famed cedars. We were an hour and twenty minutes in reaching them, the descent being very precipitous and difficult. As we entered the grove, the air was quite perfumed with their odour, the smell of Lebanon, so celebrated by the pen of inspiration. We halted under one of the largest trees, inscribed with the Delaborde's name on one side, and Della Martin's on the other. But do not think that we were sacrilegious enough to wound these glorious trees. There are few English names comparatively, I am happy to say. I would as soon cut my name on the wall of a church. Several generations of cedars, all growing promiscuously together, compose this beautiful grove. The younger are very numerous, the second rate would form a noble wood of themselves, were even the patriarchal dynasty quite extinct. One of them, by no means the largest, measures nineteen feet and a quarter in circumference, and, in repeated instances, two, three, and four large trunks spring from a single root, but they have all a fresher appearance than the patriarchs, and straighter stems, straight as young palm trees. 
of the giants there are seven standing very near each other all on the same hill three more a little farther on nearly in a line with them and in a second walk of discovery after my companions had laid down to rest i had the pleasure of detecting two others low down on the northern edge of the grove twelve therefore in all of which the ninth from the south is the smallest but even that bears tokens of antiquity coeval with its brethren the stately bearing and graceful repose of the young cedars contrasts singularly with the wild and frantic attitude of the old ones flinging abroad their knotted and muscular limbs like so many laocoons while others broken off lie rotting at their feet but life is strong in them all they look as if they had been struggling for existence with evil spirits and god had interposed and forbidden the war that the trees he had planted might remain living witnesses to faceless men of that ancient glory of lebanon lebanon the emblem of the righteous which departed from her when israel rejected christ her vines drooping her trees few that the child may number them she stands blighted a type of the unbeliever and blighted she must remain till her second spring the day of renovation from the presence of the lord when at the voice of god israel shall spring anew to life and the cedar and the vine the olive of carmel and the rose of sharon emblems of the moral graces of god reflected in his people shall revive in the wilderness to beautify the place of his sanctuary and to make the place of his feet glorious to swell the chorus of universal nature to the praise of the living god we had intended proceeding that evening to Pshery, but no we could not resolve to leave those glorious trees so soon the loveliest the noblest the holiest in the wide world the tent was pitched and we spent the rest of the day under their shadowy shroud oh what a church that grow is never did i think solomon's song so beautiful and that most noble chapter of ezekiel the thirty-first i had read it on the heights of syene egypt on my right hand and ethiopia on my left with many other denunciations how awfully fulfilled of desolations against pathros and judgments upon no but this was the place to enjoy it lying under one of those vast trees looking up every now and then into its thick boughs the little birds warbling and a perpetual hum of insect life pervading the air with its drowsy melody eden is close by these are the trees of eden the choicest and best of lebanon these are the trees there can be none nobler which solomon spoke of from the cedar of lebanon to the hyssop on the wall the object of repeated allusion and comparison throughout the bible the emblem of the righteous in david's sabbath hymn and honor upon honor the likeness of the countenance of the son of god in the inspired canticles of solomon our encampment was very picturesque that night the fire throwing a strong light on the cedar that overcanopied us those enormous arms of ghastly whiteness seemed almost alive and about to grasp and catch us up into the thick darkness they issued from the direct road from the cedars to the village of eden 
is little more than two hours. We were desirous, however, of seeing the famous convent of Canubin, or Anubin, as they pronounced it, always dropping the initial C, and accordingly, on arriving at Sherry, after an hour and twenty minutes' ride, we sent on the baggage, direct under Alvin's care, who was not well enough to accompany us. The descent to Pshari, the Beshirai of the maps, was very precipitous, but nothing to what awaited us beyond it. The village lies in a lovely valley, all verdant with vines and fruit trees, and musical with cascades, and the breezes of Lebanon, who that has ever quaffed can forget them. To the east, on the slope of the valley, stands the convent of Mar Serkis, almost concealed among thick groves, with a very remarkable pointed rock arising over it. Our route lay westwards along the edge of the ravine, broken every now and then by deep gullies, descending from the northern Lebanon, each with its torrent dashing down from the mountains, and sometimes forming beautiful cascades over the rocks, light clouds of spray hovering over their descent. We passed the village Hatshet at nine, and that of Belansi at ten, both situated on the edge of the chasm. Looking eastwards from this point towards its head, we saw the river Kadisha, like a silver thread descending from Lebanon. The whole scene bore that strange and shadowy resemblance to the wonderful landscape delineated in Kubla Khan that one often feels in actual life when the whole scene around you appears to be re-enacting after a long interval, your friends seated in the same juxtaposition, the subject of conversation the same, and shifting with the same dreamlike ease, that you remember at some remote indefinite period of pre-existence, you always know what will come next, and sit spellbound, as it were in a sort of calm expectancy. One would almost have thought Coleridge had been here in some such vision, or at least that some such description of the valley had been unconsciously lingering on his memory. The general resemblance between the scene he has painted and that before us is so striking, I dare not insist on the coincidence of there being a sacred river in both landscapes, in proof of their identity. There is a river in Macedon, and there is a river at Monmouth. It is called the Wye at Monmouth. It is out of my province, what is the name of the other river? But it is all one, and so like as my fingers is to my fingers, and there is salmon in both. Beyond Belansi we began the descent to Canubian, by a very difficult path, occasionally hewn into rude steps. This magnificent ravine, I speak of it generally as we viewed it from different points, is of immense depth, broken into vast hollows, overhung with trees, chiefly prickly oaks, and shooting into pinnacles, between which the mountain torrents rush down on all sides, some of them forming beautiful cascades, many hundred feet in height. At Canubin, however, the voice even of the Katisha is scarcely heard. A profound silence reigns. All is grandeur, but grandeur in repose, the choicest place in the world for dreaming away one's life in monastic inactivity. The convent hangs about two-thirds down the precipice, partly built up against partly excavated in the rocks, 
it looks as if held by cramping irons in its present position so deep is the abyss below so menacing the rocks that overhang it here in winter only resides the batrach or patriarch of the maronites we had expected to see him but were disappointed to hear that he had flown off with all the brethren to adiman their summer residence on the top of the mountain opposite several leaves of the syriac bible alighted at our feet as we rode up to the gate and a lay maronite who made his appearance at the window above it seemed quite indifferent to their fate he informed us in addition to the unwelcome news of the batrach's absence that there was absolutely nothing in the convent for man or beast this did not at all coincide with our plans which were to rest there a few hours feed our horses and ourselves and then proceed in the afternoon to eden we therefore the gate being open took possession of the monastery searched and discovered corn in abundance fed our horses established ourselves in the pleasantest place we could find and then tried to persuade the maronite that food for man was also producible assuring him as we did from the first that we had fellowship enough to pay for it all persuasion was in vain till a sort of major-domo arrived to whom intelligence had been sent of the capture of the convent from that moment all was cordial hospitality he unlocked a small room furnished with mats produced some of the sweet red wine of lebanon and by degrees the most sumptuous dejeuner a la fourchette we had seen for many a day made its appearance salad cheese grapes honey and dibs a syrup expressed from grapes and delicious arab bread a meal for princes during the glow of victory for me virtually resigned our conquests the moment that hospitable thoughts are evinced by the rightful proprietors we explored the convent as thoroughly as a lingering respect for bolts and bars permitted there is nothing worth seeing except the church which is a large and beautiful grotto cut lengthways in the rock that overhangs the monastery the portraits of the patriarchs mentioned by all travellers no longer line its walls but there are several paintings of a character superior to that one would expect to see in such an out-of-the-way place daubs but done in italy the best of them was an assumption of the virgin over the altar in and on a press in the church lay many books and manuscripts the former chiefly printed at rome by the propaganda some of the latter most beautifully written all in arabic i suppose but in the syriac character the bible to which the leaves that flew out of the window with such empressement to welcome us belonged lay in a small apartment at the end of a long gallery built up against the rock and overlooking the gate after a hearty meal and comfortable siesta we remounted and with the major-domo's guide a merry and good-humoured fellow reascended the gorge we had come down by but up its western side we presently passed a small chapel cut in the rock the whole valley indeed is full of the excavated dwellings by ancient hermits the scenery was still more beautiful at this evening hour the southern declivity all shadow except the salient points of rock 
after about an hour's ascent we came in sight of the vale of eden with the village on the northwest side of it so that we had to wind round the head of the valley to reach it there is now cutting across country in mount lebanon and who would wish to do so and abridge his enjoyment above below around you wherever you cast your eyes man and nature weave with each other in beautifying and enriching the landscape man affording nature a field to display her bounty upon by terracing the hills to their very summits that not a particle of their soil may be lost nature in rewarding his toil by the richest luxuriance pouring grain into his lap and wine into his cup without measure the slopes too of the valleys one mass of verdure are yet more productive than the hills thanks to the springs of lebanon that come gushing down so fresh and cool and melodious in every direction vines twine around and hanging garlands from every tree mulberries are cultivated in immense quantities with houses for the silkworms of dry branches or matting bound with reeds built between the trees they never pluck off the leaves but cut whole boughs off for the silkworms the trees however are little injured in appearance as many buffs as are seen on a young fig tree being left untouched on each the fig trees are beautiful the apricots delicious and as common as apples in england walnut trees of majestic growth and beautiful produce flourish beside the deep torrent beds along with the weeping willow and lombardy poplar the only unfruitful trees in this garden of eden for all i have said though descriptive generally of the valleys of this part of lebanon applies strictly to that we have just descended to from canubin and then the cordial greeting of the country people poor but all seemingly happy and contented and as like each other in features as brothers and sisters a smile on every woman's countenance all of them unveiled and some very pretty the steeples of the village churches peeping out through the trees, and the bells answering each other across the ravines every morning and evening, were moral charms that doubled the attractions of the scenery. We felt ourselves in a Christian country, and almost among brethren. Eden is built on a lofty ridge, extremely precipitous, its sides supported by terraces, wherever it has been possible to introduce them, planted with vines, mulberries, and corn, a considerable torrent augmented in its course by minor rills flowing in cascades from the hills rushes down a deep ravine towards the south we reached the village after a quarter of an hour's ascent from the bridge and found our friend alvin encamped near a cascade in a magnificent grove of walnut trees pell and i pursuant to his advice started off immediately on foot for the brow of a hill about twenty minutes distance to catch the sunset view of the western side of lebanon it was superb tripoli was concealed by the rising ground but the headland the part where the merchants reside the vessels the towers remnants of the old fortifications of the knightly beringers were clearly visible and the seaward course of kadisha distinguishable at intervals by its snow-white foam more to the south we saw the bold headland near batrun 
the mountain, the Kidjibail, etc., etc., and beyond all the Mediterranean. A crowd of villagers congregated under the trees in front of our tent that night. Children were romping about. Someone was modulating the shepherd's reed not unmelodiously. It was a more cheerful scene that I ever witnessed in the lowlands of Syria or Palestine, where the merry-hearted sigh and the mirth of the tabret has almost ceased in the land. We returned to Pshery by the direct route the following afternoon, with the intention of proceeding to Zahli by Akura and Afka, along the heights of Lebanon and thence to Damascus. Bokhart is the only traveller I know of who has taken this route, and a most sublime and beautiful one it is, so far as Akura and Afka, beyond which I cannot speak of it, the guide having led us, either ignorantly or knavishly, into another road. Lord Lindsay, Letters on Egypt, Edom, and the Holy Land End of chapter 17